1: for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the History of Islam podcast. Episode 4, A Son of Quraysh. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to another installment of the History of Islam podcast. Last episode we went over some of the aspects of trade on the Arabian Peninsula and also how settlements in the land as barren as Arabia managed to attract people and grow in population. Now, tradition tells us that the Kaaba, which is a cuboid building in the middle of Mecca, was built by the Prophet Abraham and his son Ishmael. And in its vicinity, Ishmael and his offspring settled and lived their lives. By the 4th century AD, obviously, this was no longer the case, and the holy sanctuary was now in the hands of a tribe called Chosea, the sons of Chosea. Now, the land of Mecca was a barren one, ill-suited for agriculture. Very few crops can thrive and grow in, in Mecca. So, the people of Mecca relied a lot on imports of food. And the consequence of this was that it would be even more difficult for a poor to survive. And in this land lived a widow named Fatima. And she found herself in a state of destitution. Her late husband had left her with very little wealth and he left her with two sons that she had to take care of. The younger of the two who was still practically an infant was named Zaid, and the other was named Zohra, and he was the eldest. And as the days passed, she found it exceedingly difficult to live in Mecca, with nobody to support her, no source of income, no support network, there was no welfare state. So, she decided to go back to her family. So, she gathered a few things that she could call her own, and set out with her young son, North, to the lands of her tribe in the Syrian desert. Leaving behind her eldest son, who by the standards of the Arabs, was now a man, too old to be ordered about by his mother. As the days and the years passed, Fatima the Widow managed to remarry, and the young Zayd grew older, taller, and stronger as young boys do. He was now a man. Sometimes in life, life throws at you these curveballs that you just have to deal with. And during a quarrel with a man of his mother's tribe, Zayd was told that he wasn't one of them. Why don't you go back to your people? You are not one of us, he told him. In a state of disbelief and shock, his life crumbling around him, Zayd rushed to find his mother and he demanded from her the truth. And after he heard it from his mother's mouth, he decided to go to where he belonged and unite himself with his father's people, his people. This in itself is a very difficult ordeal for a young man. I mean, just imagine he lived his life up to that point with no reason to believe that he didn't belong to the people that he lived his life with. And then he gets this bombshell dropped on his head and he leaves not only his mother but also all the other people that he had relationships with. For example he had a half brother, same mother, different father, who he had a great relationship with. And for those of you who have brothers that are pretty close to you in age, you know how close that kind of relationship is. Anyway. His mother surely saddened by what was now going to be the loss of another son. First her son Zohra that she left behind many years ago and now Zayd. She offered him one final piece of advice. To not be reckless and impatient and wait till the sacred months to set out on his journey so as to ensure his safety travelling through the lawless wastes of Arabia. Call it a parting gift, Zaid granted his mother her final wish and bided his time. And when the time for pilgrimage came about, he hitched a ride with some pilgrims and made his way with them to Mecca. When he finally got there, he was reunited with his kinsman and his older brother Zuhra, who at this time was a blind man. But after hearing Zayd's voice, he knew that this voice could only belong to a son of his father. And as the Arabs do, Zayd was given a nickname which he was known by for the rest of his days, and it was Qusay. And a little bit of a detour here, the name Qusay comes from the Arabic word for far or distant. And there are a couple of theories as to why he was nicknamed Qusay, Um, a bit of speculation on my behalf. I believe it was because they only met him as a man after he came to live with them from a distant place. The other very popular theory is that he was nicknamed Qusay because of his far deep thoughts because he was a very ambitious man. However, the previous theory about him coming from a distant place I think is much stronger. Anyway, back to Zaid. Zaid, now all, had soon garnered a reputation for himself as not only a man of noble character, but also as a very shrewd and tough man. And the word used in the original sources is Jalid, And this word on its own can mean skin or hide or leather. Well, obviously in this case, it's coming from the word leather because leather is a very tough material. If any of you have seen leather being made or have a piece of clothing made out of uh, authentic leather, then you will know how tough it is. I mean, just, just test it out. In fact, leather in ancient times was actually used as, uh, as armor. In fact, leather was still used as armour up until the 13th century. All you had to do was just boil the leather and that's it. You've got a fantastic piece of armour. And what this tells me is that because the word Jalid was used to describe him as a tough man in- instead of another word, um, a bit of speculation on my behalf again is that he was tough in a military sense because you could be a tough man just in your uh, your dealings with people but I believe that the word Jalid was used specifically to show that he had some kind of military distinction. Maybe he was a very renowned raider, never, never surrendering. Anyway, that's speculation, but he was a very shrewd and tough man, and when he asked one of the chiefs of Mecca, if not THE chief of Mecca, for the hand of his daughter in marriage, the chief was impressed by his accolades and his lineage, and he accepted. Time passes, and the years had been kind to Aqasai. His marriage had been fruitful, resulting in four sons and two daughters, and his wealth had grown considerably. His standing and prestige amongst the people of his community was second to none, and this for the Arabs was a very valuable trait. However, as time gives, time also destroys, and his father-in-law, Hulayl, the chief of Mecca, had been struck with illness, rendering him unable to carry out his duties as servant of the sanctuary of God one of his duties as a leader of the khuzah who as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode were the tribal control of mecca at this time and one of his duties was the physical possession of the keys to the kaaba itself and opening and closing the doors basically he had the authority over who may enter and who may not now due to his illness Hulayl was unable to carry out his duty of having to get up every day and open and close the doors. And he gave this duty to one of his tribesmen, who was known as Abu Rabshan, with the premise that Abu Rabshan would serve um, in the position of the authority as a regent to Hulayl's daughter, Qusay's wife. However, after Hulayl perished, the keys to the cabin remained in the hands of Abu Rabshan. Qusay, an ever-ambitious man and... Quick thinking, formulated a devious plan and invited Abu Abshan to a night of feasting. And this is one of the Arabs' favorite pastimes. The best of the Arabs was the most generous and most hospitable of them. During the feast, Qusay made sure that the food kept coming, the entertainment kept impressing, and most importantly, the wine kept flowing. Deep into the night and deep into the feast, Abu Abshan was now drunk beyond his mind and this is when Qusay popped him the question and offered to relieve him of his duties for a generous price the drunk Abu Rabshan named this price a skinful of wine and an elderly camel and Qusay was quick to accept when the rest of the khuzaa heard about this presumably the next day they rejected the transaction and refused to recognize it as legitimate thus voiding it now for the average arab Never mind a successful, prestigious, and wealthy man such as Qusay this was a great humiliation. The Khuza'ah, by taking what Qusay believed was rightfully his, had forced him into a corner. Now, the Khuza'ah were, were much stronger and more numerous than Qusay's tribe in Mecca. I mean, they were the leaders after all. However, we all know that saying, a cornered rat can kill a cat. Qusay called all his extended family, who at this point were completely scattered I mean completely. Many of them were nomadic. Some were semi-nomadic. Some were living in the valleys and mountains quite close to Mecca. Some lived in the vicinity of Mecca. They were just all over the place. Um, From this we can garner that they didn't feel that they were one tribe. There was no existing notion that they had a loyalty to each other. When relations are that distant you sort of lose track of them. They're not as valued to you. I mean, most people couldn't name who their third cousin is. I mean, could you name who your second cousin is? Some people don't even know who their first cousin is. Now, I'm sure Qusayi was well aware of the state of things at that point in time, but he must have had some kind of widespread network of contacts that he kept in contact with over his career, because many of the people that he contacted honoured his call. They honoured his call to war. And this is why Qusayi is known as Mujamma' Quraish, the collector, the gatherer of Quraish. qusay then pulled another trick out of his sleeve. Because even with all the people that he called, they were still outnumbered by the Khuzar. Qusayi called his brother from his mother's side, his half-brother that he left behind north in the deserts of Syria. And his half-brother honoured the call and brought with him a contingent of men to aid Qusay in his fight. This in itself, gathering all these people together, was a massive achievement, a great achievement. No other man from the lineage of Qusay had achieved such a thing, and only a man with the standing and prestige of Qusay could have pulled it off because of how much the Arabs valued those kind of qualities. And a parallel to this, so that you can comprehend it further, is if any of you play the Paradox Plaza game Crusader Kings 2, you'll see that characters have a prestige value that is accumulated within the game. And there are many games that have this kind of concept, and this prestige value that is accumulated the same way money is in the game, not in real life, is expended through such things like calling allies to war. This was basically what is happening right now. If Qusayi hadn't been as successful and as prestigious in the eyes of his contemporaries as he was, then this wouldn't have worked. The people just wouldn't have listened to his call to war. They would have ignored it. It's a bit like if someone you respect asks you for a favor, you'll be quick to grant it to them. But if it's someone that you don't care much for, you'll stall and refused to do it. Anyway, back to our story, to cut a long story short, Qusay and his army marched out and met with the army of the Beni Khuza'a, and they fought what has been described as an extremely bloody battle with casualties on both sides. But at the end of the day Qusay triumphed and Mecca was his. This was a massive turning point in the fortunes of the Quraysh. They were now joined under one banner and under one man. After his victory, we see that Qusayi was a very shrewd politician, and that his victory and unification of Quraysh wasn't just a fluke. Unifications were common to an extent in Arabia. However, they would be better described as confederacies. A group of people would unite in order to achieve a goal, just like with Qusayi, his goal was to conquer Mecca. They would unite to achieve a goal, and then almost instantaneously fragment if that goal is achieved, or... Even if that goal isn't achieved. If progress towards that goal seems to be stalling or is becoming seemingly unachievable as the days go by, they would fragment and break away. And one of the biggest flaws of the Arabs was their habit of infighting. And this is a consequence of, amongst other things, the pride characteristic that we have previously highlighted and we've spoken about quite a bit. And this pride characteristic within them, was the bane of the Arabs for the rest of their days. It is a recurrent theme in their downfall throughout history and it still continues to harm them today. The most impressive thing about Qusay's rise and the Quraysh's rise is most notably Qusay's ability to keep everyone together and united under what was his absolute authority. Again, even absolute authority was extremely, extremely rare even in the ancient kingdoms in the Yemen. A lot of the time, even those kings didn't possess absolute power over their subjects. Usually, what we find throughout Arabia is more of an oligarchic uh, structure of...
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Power. Where a few powerful men who have, first of all, distinguished themselves on a personal level and are also members of a distinguished family within a tribe, aka clans. And these men between them would have the authority to make decisions, a bit like a parliament. However, the vast majority of the time, amongst these accomplished men who were members of distinguished families, powerful families, there was no clear power structure. And this coupled with the massive egos that you would expect from a bunch of successful, maybe self-made men was what would lead to infighting and basically ineffective rule and eventually we see the Quraysh fall back into this form of rule after Qasai dies and this kind of personal loyalty further highlights the importance of Qasai's prestige and standing in his gathering and unification of the Quraysh and that no other man would have been able to do this and there's actually there's a similar case with the Prophet Muhammad's career after the Prophet Muhammad died we have an en masse rebellion of the people that were previously part of the Islamic State. As soon as Muhammad dies, boom, everyone turns away. And they basically say to Abu Bakr, who was uh, elected as, uh, as Muhammad's successor, they basically say you know, we pledged allegiance to Muhammad himself. We didn't pledge allegiance to any state or anything like that. Our loyalty is personal. Our loyalty is to Muhammad. So Abu Bakr had a big task on his hand to try and bring everyone back together. But I'm jumping the gun here a little bit. I just want to make clear and highlight how much of a feat uh, qusay actually accomplished through this conquest of Mecca. Not because of the actual military action of in the Khuzar, but because of the almost diplomatic aspect of it, by gathering all those people together under one banner and keeping it there, keeping them working towards that one goal. And for his whole life, there wasn't any marked rebellion or any anger towards any of the decisions. The discontent only starts after he dies, and that's why the Quraysh... Go back to that more traditional Arabian structure of a bunch of powerful men almost squabbling over decisions and how to get things done. Anyway, now let's return to Qusay and his actions after the conquest of Mecca. Now in Mecca there was a building named Darun Nedwa and Darun Nedwa was basically a kind of town hall where people would meet and talk. We're not quite sure exactly what the role of Dar al-Nadwa was before Qusay's invasion of Mecca, or conquest of Mecca, but the first thing that Qusay did after his victory was initiate the expansion of this building. And the expansion will make it so that Dar al-Nadwa and the Kaaba itself would be linked, therefore enabling direct access to the Kaaba from Dar al-Nadwa. He then made this Dar his residence. So it was almost like his little personal palace where he had his court, where all his de- decisions were made. And if you recall from the previous episodes where we mentioned that shrines grew and became more attractive destinations because the Arabs dare not spill blood in what they considered the territory of the gods, well, they also gave uh, similar treatment to any plants that were within the vicinity of the shrine. So at the time of Qusay's conquest, there were uh, there was a couple of trees that were around the Kaaba and were taking up basically what was prime building space for homes. And Qusay, in another unprecedented move, took away these trees, cut them down, and he called all his people that he gathered to come and settle down in Mecca. And from this, we realize um, we can tell that quite a few of his followers, should I say, were nomadic. So the Quraysh were really spread out. They were A lot of them were nomadic and he basically ordered them to leave their nomadic lifestyle behind and settle down in Mecca. This as well is a great indicator of the authority that usay wielded and that it actually was absolute because if you recall we mentioned that the nomads were very proud of their independent lifestyle. That they could roam however they wanted throughout the desert with nobody telling them to do. And the fact that he was able to get nomads to come and settle down and leave behind their free roaming lifestyle shows that his rule was basically absolute and respected by all. He had brought a pride to the people that are now Quraysh. He brought a pride to them that they hadn't had before. Before they were just a scattered people and now they are keepers of the haram, keepers of the holy sanctuary, which is something that you can boast about, something that gives you pride, which was, as we keep mentioning, a very, very important thing for the, for the Arabs. The Arabs were the embodiment of that phrase, which goes something like, um, I can't really recall it that well at the moment, but it was along the lines of, it's better to live a day as a lion than a hundred as a sheep. And Qusay, by gathering these people together and turning them into lions that lived with uh, great pride, had garnered from them their undying loyalty. Unfortunately, that is all for today's episode. I'll meet you again next week on Thursday, where we will continue with the story of Qusay and some of the institutions and policies that he laid down, and how it would influence the actions of the Quraysh after his death. Thank you for listening. There will be some footnotes after the jingle so if you want to listen to those then please do. Goodbye. (gasps) Hello, you are now listening to the Footnotes segment. First off, I just want to mention one thing from the episode. The story about Osai buying the right of the keys of the Kaaba off of the drunk man, it is quite possible that it may not have happened. And this is because not all the early source materials mention it. Uh, They don't all agree that it happened. The reason I did mention it in our story is because I don't think there is any harm in doing so as long as I mention it as I am doing now, because... That sub-story, if you like, doesn't really doesn't really change anything. It didn't affect the ultimate result. Because all the early source materials agree on everything else. That qusay after the death of Hulayl, gathered all his allies and contacts and brought them together. The scattered sons of Fihr, who are Quraysh, uh, as we have mentioned. And he launched a well-planned offensive. So the, the story is more of the justification for the conflict, more of his casus belli for the war. But at the end of the day, because it doesn't affect the outcome, I think it's okay to mention it, and it makes for a slightly more entertaining story because of that very, very devious plan. And we can say that he simply did it because he was an ambitious man, and he was successful in his ambition. And in most cases, when we look back in history, we find that ambitious men don 't really need justification or reason for their actions it doesn't really matter for them sometimes they just want to be you know greats in the books of history for example, why did Alexander cross the Hellespont and conquer the Persian Empire um, I don't think he was in any he wasn't under any existential threat. this is the same case for another great Julius Caesar when he conquered Gaul the Roman Republic wasn't under any existential threat from the Gauls some guys. Just want to be top dog. Anyway, a few announcements. The bibliography page is now up and this will be uh, constantly updated. For example, there's a book, a great book, named *The Venture of Islam by Marshall G. Hodgson. And it's actually three volumes. So right now I've got the first volume because that's what's relevant to the podcast. We're still very early days. Obviously, as the podcast progresses the research will progress as well to follow the timeline and it will become more extensive so every day or not every day but it will be updated quite frequently and I actually took quite a bit of time to make it um, I made it, well I wanted I wanted it to look nice so I tried to find book covers for all of the books so that there is a nice little layout on the bibliography page. Uh, by the way I tried to put it in the menu bar on the blog, but for some reason, even though it appears to be there in the settings, when you look at the website, it is not there for some reason. So to access it, you just have to click on the categories slash index uh, button on the menu bar, and then the bibliography will be found on the useful pages section within the category slash index page. So might be a bit confusing now, but when you look at the site, it's very easy to find. And then you go into the bibliography from there. And I'm quite happy with how it ends up looking. And it's separated into two divisions, Arabic sources and English sources. And then these two are further divided into two sources, written or literary sources, so books, articles, journals, whatever, and audiovisual sources, so university lectures and stuff like that. Obviously, The majority is going to be written. But I thought it would be pretty interesting uh, to put some audio-visual ones there so that you guys can actually take a look at them on YouTube if you want to perform some further listening or further watching. I know some people aren't that big on reading. Anyway... Uh, next, I want to apologize for the podcast being a bit late because I try to get out as early as possible as I can on a Thursday, sometimes even midnight, so that it is available for everyone, no matter what time zone you are in. Because my commitment to myself and to you is that I try to bring out an episode every Thursday consistently, and uh, this week it was a bit later than usual, so I just want to apologize, but. You know, this isn't this isn't a full-time thing. I have a very very busy schedule and the production of the podcast has to be worked around that schedule. It's not my uh, it's not my full-time sort of job. Because of that, I'm quite restricted. Obviously, I would love for it to be my full-time job, but right now, obviously, that is not possible. Oh, and that brings me to my next bit, which is want to give a big thanks to Sakari from Finland for his very very generous donation. If you guys want to donate and uh, help contribute to the production of the podcast so that it's much easier for me to produce, then all you have to do is contact me or go onto the donate page on the blog. Uh, another thanks is to those of you who reviewed the podcast. Oh, it was two or three people, I think, I can't quite remember. Actually, iTunes doesn't notify me when I receive reviews, which is very, very annoying and quite inconvenient. Um, I actually happened to see them by accident. I was going on iTunes to see how easy it is for people to find the podcast without searching for it. And and then I did the same to see how easy it is for some of our American listeners and then I found that I had some reviews. So I just want to say thanks because they were very nice reviews and it really pleased me to uh, to read them. I ended up with a massive smile on my face, so thank you very much. Um also Next thing was that there has been a little spike in listenership. I've been fortunate enough to have experienced a steady growth in listenership every week. But last week, there has been a greater growth than usual. And this has been been quite widespread because I think it's because Serial is back with their second season. And because that's happened, it's led a lot of people back to podcasts. So I just want to again remind you of the fact that every episode will have a backup link in the episode guide because when a lot of people try to download at one time uh, the servers can't handle it all at the same time and there has been about two or three instances that have been notified about by some listeners thanks to them where the file isn't available for about an hour if the server overloads and at the time there's not much i can do Um, i don't have the kind of funds to you know have more expensive servers if you like so if you ever try to get hold of an episode and it's not working, then all you have to do is go to the episode's episode guide in the blog, and I usually put a link to the episode guide in the actual episode post itself. So for those of you who are a bit lazy and want it in one click, it's available. So once you're on the episode guide for the respective episode, there will be a backup link where you can directly download the episode. Um, also want to say thanks to Carl from the History of Europe Key Battles podcast and caleb from the history lessons with caleb mike and terry podcast for their shout outs much appreciated once again big thanks to sakari from finland for his his very very generous donation and uh, thank you for listening that is all for now and i hope to see you next thursday the contact page is always open so if you want to hit me up with some messages they are very much appreciated Goodbye.